All right, team. How are we feeling now? Has everything? Are we good? We've all calmed down. What, what a week! What a week <laughs> has been. But never in doubt, you know. Never in doubt. <laughs> I'm you, I am the maddest at Walker Kessler, not for his decision, but for releasing his thing literally like five minutes after I hit upload. Yep, like, last week, <laughs> where everybody was hopeful, we're like, yeah, we're gonna be fine. And, and then, then good good football news came out with like contract extensions. And then we were like, yeah, aw. <laughs> the world's burning down. I was like, because I was like, oh, this is a good episode. Like, I feel like we did really well. So I'm going to like pub this one out more than I normally do. And then literally five minutes. <laughs> you know, I'm also upset just because we lost a very good uh, podcast guest. Off the Carolina Insider. You yeah. Know, he, he was a great podcast guest. Yeah, I'm not sure he's going to win the potty anymore. But that's fine. But Perhaps in case you've right. been under a rock, um, again, we our season ended last Friday against Wisconsin. Uh, and it was widely reported like normal, under normal years. Roy Williams has like basically the postseason interviews with his players. Usually it's an opportunity to talk about one went right, one went wrong, the future and stuff. But I think there was a lot of uh, uh, extra factors that went into the meetings this year because with the pandemic and all, the NCAA has done the one-year uh, transfer exemption rule now where you can transfer without having to sit a year now on top of not losing eligibility either. So basically everybody that came into college basketball this year is a redshirt freshman, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then also it's expected to be passed in April that you can also now transfer within conference as well. We had the whole debacle with Cam Johnson and some schools can connect, can force a player to move out of conference, but we ultimately got that upon approval. And now that's going to be something that is approved and such. And so uh, around the uh, Sunday, Monday, uh, there were some rumblings that there was some unhappiness uh, within the program, specifically among the players, for a variety of reasons, either with Some playing time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the overall frustration, I think, also, the, like we discussed last week, is just the lack of experience. You know, sure, they might have played for the University of North Carolina, but they had experienced virtually nothing that's associated with playing with the University of North Carolina. They just happened to put on the jersey and play in the Dean Dome. But it was empty, and then they would go back to their dorm room and not do anything and barely interacted with the player. So it was also hard to develop the chemistry and such with players off the court as well. Um, so there was troubles with either guests just going ahead and jumping to the NBA or utilizing this new transfer rule. And as Colby referred to, five minutes after our pod went live, it was announced that Walker Kessler was entering the transfer portal. Which is funny because I'm pretty sure I even said it on the pod. I was like, you know, of the guys that I think are going to transfer, I think Walker's pretty solid. I think he's pretty shit. You dummy. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know anything that's happening. It is futile to guess. So absent of like all the things that are are probably going to talk about later about the reaction to it, like about the, the, the fallout of it, but just like straight up, like this had the potential, and I say had slash has because the fallout still hasn't totally cleared yet, to really, really set off some dominoes 
for the rest of the, the team. Now, this is not a North Carolina-specific issue. I think – I don't know where the, the transfer portal stands right now, but the amount of – I actually have it up right now since you've asked. But, yeah, go ahead. There you go. Go for it. No, no. I well, Finish what you were saying. Well, I was just saying because, like, so this, it's, this is not a – this was always going to happen. Um, we didn't see it because North Carolina traditionally, as far as transfers goes, are really – we don't – normally have lots of transfers um, out of the program. Um, so when we heard the rumblings of a potential mass exodus from the program, we were all like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, it's bad. Red alert, this is bad. Because, you know, we don't know what's happening back in there. Because, like, you know, it was almost – it was giving me vibes. And obviously this happened, this, this happened for completely different reasons – but it almost reminded me of when all the the, the um, women's basketball players hopped up and left when we were, what, sophomores? Mm. Yes. You know, we lost, like, everybody. And we were like, what? What just <laughs> happened? <laughs> so it was giving me those vibes. Now, obviously, things that we know now make that context a little bit different. But, um, you know. I was freaking out. <laughs> I, I was think no. The entire Twitter was at the message boards on Inside Carolina were absolutely on fire. I think because it was particularly the caliber of player. It's not just it's not your Wear Twins or your Larry Drew. Even it's the guy who I think by the end of the season people were like, I could easily see this person being the star, the face of North Carolina basketball in two or three years. Yeah, and we were uh, thinking about that one-two punch with um, Mondo and and Walker and like that was what we were predicating the whole next season on right we were all like Walker and Mondo that's our go-to that's going to be our bread and butter next year so I think that's what gave it such a shock value and also just to officially realize because it started off with such a big domino we're like oh crap if he's considering this then everybody else it it is truly going to start a domino effect with other players starting to leave as well and I think this is it's I think it's just going to always be a sore spot because um, not only was the decision made, the, there was more and more that started to come out. So now there's this thing where it was the, his parents were involved with the meeting. Um, but I feel like that is a, still a normal part of the interview process. But from what I've heard, it is separate. Like, boy, we'll talk separately to the player and separately to the fa- family. But this one, it was apparently both uh, Walker and his family speaking to Roy and it seems that it was mainly a, I guess, an idea fit um, or a lack of playing time to showcase his abilities. Because when he came in, he was mainly kind of advertised as somewhat of a stretch four. Um, I mean, he's still big enough that he could play that traditional big light position, but he shot threes. He shot from the perimeter. And knowing what we know about the current NBA landscape, that's what makes you marketable for the NBA draft. Uh, but obviously, there was some discontent. Um, as, as Colby pointed to, that he didn't get a chance to really showcase that as much this year. Also, decision. really quickly, I want to give a shout out to Kiara Luck, a uh, reporter for Carolina. Absolutely. Got a lot of, she said she got a lot of crap in her DMs when she said, get prepared for some transfers out of the program. And a bunch of people were like, you don't know what you're talking about. Why would anybody leave? And um, turns out, 
someone who reports on Carolina and has sources within the program knows what they're talking about. So shout out to Kira Luck. She has done a, a lot of really great Carolina reporting and community building this year. Just want to get that out there. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, Walker's gone. And that was, and after that, it felt like the sky was falling, but sometime Mav, and I'll let you take the, the driver's seat here. Sometime I feel like Tuesday or Wednesday, it seems like things started to calm down a little bit, especially after on Monday we were hearing that Caleb's looking at going back home to Missouri and playing for Mizzou. That was, that was so, and I think even Lauren Brownlow tweeted this, where she was like, Caleb Love would be the least surprising transfer out of the, the people that were in the mix to potentially transfer, um, which makes news that we're going to talk about later a bigger deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, even though he got a ton of playing time, you know, he got seemingly a green light from, from coach for pretty much everything, you know, like he didn't look like he was shy about <laughs> doing anything on the court. Um, it's still just something about it was just like, I don't know if he's going to stay and maybe he goes somewhere where he's like the guy. Um, but um yeah that's I think Caleb was the next one I was afraid of and then Mondo was the next one that I was afraid of yeah I I think a lot of the fan base also just said that because again it just felt like it was going to be a down effect it was going to be this person this person this person especially as with as much as Caleb struggled uh this year and I think a lot of that kind of going to the fact where in high school he still played pretty heavily on the two position and then transitioned to one and so I think someone also mentioned that this was like the first time he's had one big, let alone two in the post. So I think he strives, he, he thrives more in a more spread like offense where the lanes aren't clogged and such so that he can create his own shot with inside shooting. Cause he's a talented, fin- he's a talented finisher. Like he is a strong, he's a strong guy. He has gold giant slayer on 2k. Like he yeah, can no, finish like- over almost anybody. Correct. Yeah. Like he can do it. I just looked like he was struggling with the fact that, like you said, the paint was clogged with two bigs, which also brought defenders um, with them, with them. So. So in, apparently they said it was a very honest meeting. So I'm, I follow inside Carolina and I was a premium subscriber. So I, I've been trying to keep up at least not with, while not completely throwing down the paywall to the brothers, but trying to fill them in as best as I can, but um, there were some meetings there was very honest and, and they said a lot of the time it was, in, especially in years past without the circumstances, it's 95% Roy saying, this is how, what I like, this is what I didn't like. This is what I expect from you next year. Also what kind of considerations are there are for the draft. Whereas this year and probably every year going forward, it's more of a dialogue in between the players. So some give and take on both sides about things they didn't like, things they like, things they want to improve upon and so forth. Um, but ultimately it sounds like Caleb in his meeting was one uh, that really wanted to still take some ownership um, for the season. Um, and honestly that, hearing from, from Caleb, that sounds like the kind of dude he is. Yeah. yeah. He didn't want, he's not the one to, to shy to, to back down when he does face some adversity. And so 
We saw for, that this season. <laughs> yeah, for for that to be the case, like my level of respect for Caleb just skyrockets. Um, and no, so it, for sure, like uh, Lauren Brownlow on the ACC podcast this year said, or this this week said that Caleb had uh, one of the shortest memories for better and for worse. Just whenever a good thing happened, like he would stay right where he was. Never a horrible thing happened, he would stay right where it was. It's like maybe you want him to remember the bad stuff a little bit more so he doesn't do it again. <laughs> but like. <laughs> He was always next play, next play, next play. And that's kind of what you have to be if you're going to be a point guard at Carolina, especially if you're starting your first year. So I love that energy from him. I'm glad we're getting him back. And I, I like I said, as much as there were struggles, I have full confidence that next year will be better because even historically speaking, some of the greatest jumps, not only among point guards, but among Carolina players happens from the first year to the second year. You think of like your Marcus Pages and things like that. Um, I would even say probably Kennedy Meeks from his first year because of his weight loss uh, had a pretty they drastic improvement from first to second year. Yes. Yeah, I think Believe it or not, that. I lost about what, 75 pounds, if I remember right? I heard nothing about this. Yeah. So, um, Nothing so, about Candy Meeks, nothing about Nate Britt being an amphibian, nothing about I love that how this still is a, a running joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love to this that. Even, even now, it's still a running joke. Years later. And so now it's basically been reported, um, really at this point, you're not going to, it's not going to be like that for everybody where we're just waiting for a decision. So it's just going to be business as usual, um, that they're just coming back and there's not going to be a Twitter post about it or anything like that. But it seems like at this point, there's at least two more major decisions to be had. Um, their interest, they didn't want to, they wanted to allow people to read between the lines. So I guess that's our uh, prerogative to be able to do that. So it would most likely be Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott um, and seeing where they're going. So it will depend necessarily on what their future Garrison can go super senior with us, with another team, or just go straight pro and not stay in college basketball. I would say most likely Armando can either test the waters and go to the NBA or test and come back or just come back. Um, but, but now the complicated thing is for someone that does test the waters, that process is going to go till June. And now with all these transfers and just the need to be able to assess your needs as a team and fill those spots, you really can't guarantee a scholarship uh, that late in the process. Um, so I think that's why then going to the next thing, I guess, is Dayron announced he's going into the draft and is pretty much staying in the draft regardless, which we all, we all kind of saw that coming from the first game. So it's really not a shocker there. And I think once he gets in front of scouts in front in a combine like setting, it's going to show that he is an NBA level talent. No, absolutely. As the NBA is moving more to this five out sort of system, I can definitely see him at like the top of the three point line, sort of facilitating offense as a center. I don't, this is a wild comparison to make. So don't, please don't read too much into this, but kind of like a Nikola Jokic. I knew you were going to say Jokic because he's really good at passing as a big. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a great passer. Also his, um, his turnover percentage was high for a center, but that's because he was trying to make plays. So you, you kind of have to watch to see what's, what's actually going on there. But he is a phenomenal passer, one for his Asian experience, uh, two for his size. And I can definitely see an NBA team using him 
as a facilitator, a secondary facilitator, either out of the post or just from the top of the the top of the key, because we all are, I guess you two didn't. Um, but he had a drive in that Wisconsin game where he like went left to right, spun, <laughs> like laid it in over somebody. So he can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. And I can definitely see that being very valuable to an NBA team who already has a primary facilitator and might want someone else to kind of take the burden off of that, um, the primary. So, Yeah. And so really outside of that, it sounds like by all means, everybody else is pretty clear. Now, I've heard absolutely nothing on Playtech, um, whether he's going to go super senior or just call it a college career. I'm not really sure about that. Um, I, I might also depend on our needs. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for that ship to sail, to be quite honest. It was fun. Uh, it was good. It was fun. I think I'd I, I, I be fine the, the with a conscious uncoupling. Yeah. I'll miss the gifts when we win. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's definitely time to go in another direction. <laughs> we appreciate the Miami game. We appreciate we can yeah. never take away that game winner from them. I will remain in the Playtech hive, but um, I'm ready yeah. for it. Look, we have Caleb, RJ, um, Armando and or not Armando, sorry, Anthony Harris, and I'm missing a guard, missing a guard. Kerwin, we have four Ker- we have four guards who are ready. Um, and I don't think we need to take time away from them. Yeah. And so now I guess the thing becomes is that so kind of I guess theoretically speaking, so we're down Dayron, uh Let's just go ahead and consider Garrison. I'll just be like, I guess, playing it safe that he's probably gone, at least just going pro or doing super senior somewhere else. I would say losing Playtech and losing Walker. And then am I missing something? Uh, Sterling. Sterling. Sterling also. Yeah. Sterling also announced his transfer. So that's five. We have two Frosts coming in now, DeMarco Dunn and Dontre Styles. So that leaves three spots. And I think at least two of those three are going to have to be in the front court um, because now we have a glaring need for front court depth. Um, I, I guess another thing too, that's now coming because they can actually discuss this on inside Carolina live. That was actually on radio in Chapel Hill. So I, would, I can just, I guess I feel free to discuss this since it was like publicly talked about was that like Baycott in his meeting with Roy was essentially sold on the fact that he's going to be the big guy. Um, and was basically given the keys to the front court and apparently that resonated with him. So it sounds like he's very much is coming back. Listen, slide leaky to the four and maybe have like a, a three guard lineup out there and run four around one. I think it could work. Do the, do the Theo thing where you, play yeah. him, where you, where he, uh, against like Theo against Marvin Bagley type deal. <laughs> Not quite that drastic. And, yeah. I mean, and also put in Dontrez. I think Dontrez would be a perhaps undersized four that can guard the stretch um, or a bully ball kind of three in terms of size because he's like Leakey's height. He's like 6'9", same kind of frame that Leakey has. I mean, I, I think it could work. But If we do play that perimeter, though, we have to hit shots. <laughs> we have yeah. to hit perimeter shots. Yeah. That's the catch because, you know, I know obviously Kerwin has, it has shown – the ability to hit three-pointers at a ridiculous clip. I think RJ has shown flashes of being 
able to. He just needs to have consistency. But more consistent down the stretch. As the season went on, he got better. DeMarco um, Dunn has been shooting about 42% in high school, I think. So, you know, hopefully he can come in and contribute that way. I think Caleb has the potential to be a good shooter. Like, I don't know if he's ever going to be like a, a sharpshooter, but I think he can still be serviceable, like at least dangerous enough that you have to respect it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he can at least be that to where he can have that dichotomy of like, okay, well, I can shoot the three well enough to make it pay for it. But if you come out too far, I'm going to drive on you and make you pay for that, pay for it that way. I think Honestly, that way can work that way. I feel like a lot of Caleb stuff is shot selection. It's knowing what shots are his and what shots he needs to find for other people, yeah. um, which I think he was starting to come to realize later in the season. Like when he was hitting those uh, sort of pick and roll, short roll, uh, pull up twos kind of, he was draining those kind of in like the 15 to 18 foot range. If he can, maybe if there's a pick and roll and the defender goes under being able to take that pull up three and then catch and shoot situations, if he stays there and slashing to the basket, he could be a great shooter. He doesn't need to create on his own. I think it goes without saying, I think it's pretty clear the kind of player he's mimicking in terms of his game. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> well, I was going to say Jason Tatum, but. Oh, I was going to say, uh, he, he reminds I mean, me now that you mention it, it's not a bad comparison who he was. I can I can see where you would draw the comparison with, with Jason Tatum. Jason um, was just a better shooter. Yeah, and Jason Tatum's also 6'8", so he can get those shots off whenever he wants to. So, I was thinking more guard position, so I was going Russell. Just because of his like head on the ground, like he's a he's literally like he he's a strong dude. Like he can yeah, bully he, is. he can bully people, um, you know, and get to the rim. Um, but I think he can if he can just have that serviceable three point shot. Um, I think he will it will do him a lot of good. Um, but also that but you know like having shooters around him is going to help. Yeah. Um, and, and having, you know, and I know that I know that Coach Williams really likes that two big man set. I feel like that's some more the frustration with some of the fan bases. Um, but, um, you know, I think I think that we could successfully run a style like we did in 20, uh, yeah. 2018, 2019, where you had like Cam and Luke. Yeah, you had Cam and Luke running it, basically. Yeah. And that right. seems to be what he's going for is, uh, ironically enough, it seems like the big need right now is a hybrid four. <laughs> that is what and what they're looking for in the transfer part. Uh, but more, I get I, I get what they're saying. I think what Roy's, at least his rationale is, I, I don't truly want to speak for him, but I believe the idea is, yes, Walker, by definition, is a stretch four. But I think there's a difference between a 7-1 stretch four and a 6-9 stretch four. That um, I don't. I'm not sure if Walker can defend a six-nine stretch four um, and such, or is agile enough to be a stretch four? Because Luke May was six-eight, yeah, and he could move around. He was really good off the ball. Six-eight in quotations. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but probably six-seven. But before we move on to the transfer portal, um, as Mav and I are tag teaming inside Carolina premium and uh, Kim Palm premium subscriptions. Um, I need to contribute. What can I do? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, I do think that we have the ability to be a very good 
defensive team next year. I, I think with Caleb was a revelation on defense. I don't think we expected him to be as good as he was on the ball this year. He still gets stuck ball watching sometimes, but that's an experience thing. Um, as he gets more comfortable playing college basketball, he's going to stop ball watching as much and be able to uh, stick to his assignment on defense. I think that if Kerwin continues to get better and kind of turns into a Kenny Williams sort of player, Leakey's already a great uh, defender. And if he can guard those stretch fours, we could be a very good defensive team next year, which will help our offense a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In 2017, we, we were an awesome defensive team. Yeah. And like I said, we might not have two big, two traditional bigs down low, but I feel like we have our guards were on the better side of rebounding, to my recollection. Oh, yeah. They were, they were pretty solid rebounds. So I think they can, I think they can make up for that. Yeah. Um, I so, just checked Kim Palm. We were uh, ranked 11th in defense um, in 2017. And this year we were ranked 24th. We were solid defensive team, no matter how it looks so far. According to like efficiency, we were a solid defensive team. Yeah. But I'm willing to move on now. I was gonna so I was gonna say so I think that the the outlook for next year is a little bit brighter. I think there's still some there's it's not doom and gloom. However, there's some obvious need with Sterling leaving, with Walker leaving, with Garrison most likely leaving. And um, Dayron. And Dayron. That's what went from a solid four front court is down to one. One. So our our front court depth is in massive need right now. Um, so I think that you got to find at least two big guys. Doesn't have to be at the five, but at least two big guys. Um, because we're not getting. I don't know the size of our of our recruits. I don't. I don't know what position. Dontrez is about six eight, six nine. Um, Demarco six four. Hmm. Okay. So, so I mean, our guard, our backcourt set. You yeah. got uh, R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Kerwin Walton, and Demarco Dunn, and Anthony Harris. And Anthony Harris, yeah. So, and probably even moving Kerwin, probably even to the wing potentially if they move Leaky up. So mm-hmm. backcourt is pretty covered. I would say, like I said, potentially even all three of our potentially open spots would probably be devoted to the front court and. Um, which we'll get into right now. There's definitely some options, not only in the transfer portal, but still some recruits coming out of high school that are now out of, uh, have either decommitted or been released from their letters of intent. Shall we talk about them? Let's do it. We, you want to take down their list in order that you let, that you gave us? Sure. Go ahead. So first we have Dawson Garcia, who is not in the transfer portal uh, as of, whatever the date is uh sunday march 28th not in the transfer portal at 2 16 p.m but he was a marquette player marquette uh them and wojo parted ways i'm not sure if it was a firing situation or not but either way wojo is not the coach anymore there uh shaka smart is in talks to become marquette he is he is he is shock well there we go shaka smart is going to be the next head coach there so when a new head coach comes to a college program, you can expect to see some transfers because this is not the coaching staff that recruited these players. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Dawson Garcia enters the transfer portal and looks elsewhere. We were in the hunt for him. 
Uh, Which I recruited him. Yes, we recruited him coming out of high school. He is a 6'11 forward. Last year as a freshman, shot 36% from three on 73 attempts. He was letting them fly. Um, also, according to Kim Palm, was the MVP in their game against us uh, shooting. Uh, what is this? He had nine, 24 points. Did he yeah, have? 9 of 13, 24 points on 13 shots. Uh it might be a Cam Johnson situation where we just yeah. get the dude who destroyed us. To <laughs> yeah, he destroyed us. And Roy's like, I kind of like that guy. <laughs> Let's bring him on. So, yeah, I think – so there's the familiarity factor that he is at least aware of the Carolina program because I think there are some players maybe from low and mid-majors that have done really well but don't really have a Carolina connection. Uh, but, again, it's still – it's not a thing right now because at this very moment he's not in the portal – but if he goes, I think Carolina's going to hit that hard. For sure. Next up, Trey Mitchell. That's someone that I think we both tag Mav, but you can you can go yes. ahead before I get to his. Yes, I think this is particularly one I think a lot of people are excited about. Um, uh, this person already has 75, at least contact with 75 schools, according to 247 Sports, uh, from power, and a lot of those being Power 5 schools. He's from UMass. Um Another player, he's, and he's kind of four. He's, he can shoot threes. He's very agile. Um, played really well for UMass. He, and he had some good games against, I would say, tournament caliber teams like uh, St. Louis. Um, he played Northeastern and put up 31 points, I think, who we played this season. Um, so I, I there's definitely some talent there. For sure. He had some great games this season. Uh, for his career, he is a 34% three-point shooter. He's 6'9", a sophomore. He only played 13 games this year, so he only got up 43s this season, but that is still a lot of attempts per game. I mean, he's shooting three per game, which if you have a stretch four, it's about what you want. I don't think you want him shooting any more than that. But he was shooting at a pretty good clip, and also um, he's a good defensive rebounder. He has some work to do on the offensive glass, but that might have something to do with uh, UMass's. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I watch UMass basketball. Uh, that might be a scheme thing. So if he gets to Carolina, he might become a better rebounder on the offensive glass, but I still think that, I mean, you heard math. He has a lot of suitors, and that's for a good reason. And this one is not necessarily even the transfer pool, but just getting a recruit now um, from Durham, a guy named Jonas Idu. He's actually from Charlotte. Or is he from Charlotte? I think he plays mm-hmm. maybe in Durham, uh, but was a Louisville commitment and then was released out of a de- decommitted from Louisville. And so, um, again, that's a North Carolina thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still very – definitely would be aware of the program. I'm, sure, I'm not sure how much contact they might have had, but I think that he would get a look. And I think he, he's like a top 100 player. I think he's like 88 in the country. So um, it's a kind of player, too, where you you think he would be okay potentially backing up Armando, where he's not going to be necessarily asking for starting minutes to start off. Yeah, according to the according to 247, he's 80th nationally, but – with the composite, he's 60th nationally. So somebody is very, very high on him. Uh, and Mav, I think you're right. I think the school that he goes to is in Durham. Um, 
but yeah, he is listed as the number seven center according to 24-7 uh, composite. So I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that we um we look to him. And he's um he committed to Marquette, but I think he decommitted after the coaching change is his situation. So yeah, I did get confused. He was he was he was released, he was Marquette committed, correct. Who else? I'm just kind of at least dipping into it. There is a wing that has come up, at least among like some fans uh, out of Davidson is Kellen Grady, a uh, pretty good three-point shooter. Um, he, But he would be a pure grad transfer, so I think he would just have one extra year. Um, right. He is 6'5". You might have heard some NBA buzz from him a couple years ago. You think he tested the waters um, and decided to come back to school to finish it out. But, yeah, he's a pretty solid uh, three-point shooter. He's 36% for his career, and he lets him fly. He is not shy about shooting threes, uh, which I appreciate from him. Um, and Kellen Grady is very good, but he's not the wing that I was looking at from Davidson. And I'm not sure how many people were. I think Kellen Grady was definitely the more popular name. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Hyung Jung Lee, um, who is a sophomore at Davidson from South Korea, uh, who shot 46% from three this year on 115 attempts. I think that could be, and he's 6'7", so he might be able to step into that um, that four spot if needed. I would really love to see what he looks like in our offense. Yeah. Yeah, he's 17th in the country in effective field goal percentage, shooting at that clip from three. That is very, very good. And there is a, a one other that at least caught my attention, but I think now this one might very well be put on the back burner just because of Caleb's decision to stay. Um, the one name came up was Bobby Pettiford. Who, that's where I got it. He is a Louisville commitment that decommitted. Um, point guard, 6'1", out of Durham. Um so again, and he specifically has an article where he said he was keeping a very close eye on UNC's developments in the backcourt. Um, so he definitely has UNC on his radar in some capacity. For sure. One more that I was looking at, um, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure how to say his last name, but Aiden Igihan, perhaps? He was at Louisville for the past two years. He was hurt for most of the two years. Um, and then also, so he's from Ireland. When he got to the U.S., he kind of struggled a little bit uh, playing against people that were his size. Um, so he was having to learn how to do that. And eventually Louisville just went with other options instead of him. But coming out of high school, they called him the Irish Hulk. So, uh, he sounds like a Carolina big to me. Uh, hey, he he could be friends with Ben Kiernan. If so. he wants to come on over, I would be. I would love to have him. But I, I do. I'm a little apprehensive just because of the how some Louisville people talked about him. Was he just wasn't ready for yeah. American college basketball size and strength? So I think really all of these are, are ones that I think are rational ones. I, there are a lot of good players that are coming in this portal. And so I think we can now kind of transition to that, but um, there's definitely going to be some talent. And for a place like North Carolina, there, there people want to go to North Carolina still uh, and would be, would be happy to play in this kind of an offense. So now it allows Carolina to kind of pick and choose. 
to what kind of person ultimately that they do want to bring to the team. But all this is to say is that there's been no confirmed contact, I don't think, except for Pettiford with any of the grad transfers. And I don't think there will be much contact for a lot of them really until after the national championship and potentially a few weeks after uh, for sure. before we actually know where those are going to go. I was talking to my friend, Adam, and I, I feel our friend, Adam, he's not just my friend, <laughs> <laughs> but I was telling him that I feel like this is going to be a buyer's market for high majors. Like, yeah. Oh, it's the, quite literally free agency now. The blue bloods. If you have openings, like we're going to pretty much probably be able to, we aren't going to have to settle. Oh no. We still can pick and choose. I am just a little worried about, is this system sustainable? I think this is being the first year of it. I think you can see that everybody is wanting to try it um, because this has often been a a, kind of like a point of conversation, I think for several years now. And I think it it started with the transfer rule. When you do that, ultimately you have to sit out the year. So there was somewhat, I guess, a sense of consequence when you did transfer and now that you are removing that consequence, it is making it easier to go through that process. Um, and there can be a variety of reasons to do that. It doesn't have to be just because you're discontent uh, with your with the school that you're playing for. We're in a pandemic, so perhaps people are when several states away from home and want to be closer to family or or personal reasons or things like that. Um, but I do sort of worry about how sustainable it is because now you, there's they've been reporting now. I think there's 800 players in the transfer portal. There are 4,500 players in college basketball. It's only going to go up. And it's only going to go up. So we're almost at 20% of any every player in college basketball is in the transfer portal. There's only 13 scholarships on a team. So not only are there those people that are now vying for those spots, you still have a whole high school class that's coming in. I'm just afraid that particularly in the transfer portal, there's going to be a lot of people that might end up not having a spot by the time the summer's over. And That's so they might you, they have to go down a division, go to like maybe join last chance of you <laughs> get on Netflix or something, um, or just go ahead and start a, a professional career overseas because they technically have played for a year, um, at least we, to be able to be in that situation. So um, I am anxious to see, I think we'll get in this conversation. I told Kobe, we might have ourselves a little debate here. We don't want to necessarily be an echo chamber. Um, and so I guess you and David, we can at least start on it. So I'm anxious to see how many of the players I haven't been able to check. I don't know if they're 247 sports has a way to filter it out is how many of the transfer players are specifically true freshmen or people that finished their first year of ball. Right. Transferring. Yeah. I would be curious to see that as well. Um, um, so actually we have one in, in Walker Kessler, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, you look across the league, it's still guys that have played a couple of years or whatnot. Um, my concern too is just it might be the, the somewhat I feel like an old man by t- talking about this or whatnot. But when it when someone leaves after their first year with a program to go to another school for whatever reason, it can be personal, it can be fit with the team, and, and coming to that realization now that they played ball for your whatnot, there's going to be a perception that this person's giving up, this person's not willing to live in some in some sense of uncomfortability and and adversity and they're just taking their ball quite literally and going home um so to speak and so one thing i was considering is 
if it becomes not, I don't say doing implementing it right now. I think let it go for about two or three years. But if the trend becomes that it's particularly true freshmen that are transferring, I think they might have to consider putting a limit that you have to play two years with your program before you can get the exemption. Yeah. I, my main concern here is what y'all were kind of talking about earlier was there's going to be a lot of players who aren't going to have a home uh, come August. And I don't think one, I'm always going to be pro player. Like I, what I want, I'm want to look out for the play, player's best interest. And if they think that their best move is to leave and go somewhere else, awesome. But I don't know how you, I don't know how you find spots for these players who aren't going to have anywhere, or at least in their heads, aren't going to have anywhere viable to go. Yeah, I, I do. I don't know how to solve that. Yeah. So, and then, so what does that, so if they put themselves into the transfer portal, they cannot come back to their team, right? They can. They can. They can? Okay. And oh, okay. Now they, now, as far as I'm aware, the team can still decide to not offer you back your scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, so like technically if Walker Kessler reneged, because he is firmly in the transfer portal right now, Roy technically could say, you know what, we're not going to offer you your scholarship back. Um, so that that can become a little bit more problematic as well. So it, it's it's a lot of stuff again with not players not having enough there. Um, I don't think that it will be 800 plus players every single season going no. forward. I think it's because it's the first year and everybody wants to try it out. I think pe- there's unfortunately going to be some players that are, for, for without putting in better words, are going to be made an example of uh, because of not being able to find a spot. And I think that's going to lower the numbers back. Um, but again, my whole thing kind of goes to is, especially for someone like a Walker Kessler or such, it's different between your one and done kind of player and your person that's, that's NBA ready. Mm-hmm. Um, where if you're in the transfer portal, I think it somewhat implies that you aren't necessarily NBA ready. And so leaving after your first year or whatnot, I think, Potentially doing that where you put the two-year thing. And then I see what you're saying. I would think in a from a purely pro player perspective, that might not be something that sounds great because again, you're going right back to putting some type of a limit on the players or restricting them in some way. Um, but I think because now that there's no exemption or you get exemption, you don't have to sit out. I think that it makes it at least balances it a little bit more. We're giving it two solid years. Like first year, maybe it's just because I, Truly, if this thing has been, if that was a thing since college basketball was started, I think some of Carolina's best players of all time would have transferred. Um, I think a Raymond Felton or a Joel Berry or a Marcus Page might very well have transferred after their first year if they were given the chance to. Well, to that point, Joel even talked about that before. In his senior so speech. He, he talked about in his senior speech how he was not happy after his freshman year and wondered if, you know, not only basketball, but if, if Carolina was for him. And he stuck it out and won a championship. Now, obviously, not everybody ends up like that. Um, but there is something to be said about, you know, even if your freshman year isn't the greatest, you know, you know, if we if we if we judge Joe Barry straight up off of his freshman season, you know, 
we were all there. We all re- we all remember what people were saying. We remember. We were like, mm, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, now the final four, in, 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 final four most outstanding player, and one of probably the most beloved Tar Heels in the last decade. Absolutely, I feel like there there's kind of like two issues here. One is this season specific. I I feel like if this was this they would have enacted this rule after this season and it would have been a totally normal no pandemic season we probably would have seen a lot of people test the transfer portal but not nearly as many as what 400 as of today like a lot of these kids a lot of these a lot of these players missed out on their college, their first year of college experience. They don't know what it's like to hear the crowd roaring as you walk, as you run onto the court. They don't know what it's like being seen around campus and being that dude. Uh, I wonder if with Walker Miller being that dude on campus, uh, which Kessler. he would he would have been, I call I think I said this earlier this year. He had fan favorite written all, all over him. Yeah. Like he would have been that dude. And I wonder if that would have made a, a difference. Um and two, I Mav, I do think there is something to what you're saying about sticking it out for one more year and just seeing. What if? What if maybe it's magically different this year? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I think there there's definitely something to that logic. Um, and I think taking away the automatic exemption might be... Um, or do I want to take away that? I think that... The or you have to play else, two years to get that exemption. Yeah, I think that still being able to apply for the immediate eligibility and just letting the schools talk it out, like, hey, yeah, we want to make sure that he's eligible. The other schools, like, yes, we want him to be eligible. If they both agree to it, I don't see... I mean, I'm sure the NCAA could figure out some dumb reason. Um, but I don't see why those schools couldn't work that out between themselves. Um, I don't think it's a horrible idea. And then also kind of putting, cause I, I think I might like, I was just kind of rambling. I feel like I was rambling a little bit, but when I was talking about being NBA ready versus transferring, mm-hmm. because like, let's say you get that second year and then you're still like, you still have those same exact feelings. That's where I was kind of getting into it because if you are truly NBA ready, then you don't have to transfer, just go test the waters and go to the NBA. Whereas going to another school. Right. Speaking specifically about about North Carolina, like I feel like the fan base gets really wrapped up in Coach Williams, the narrative that Coach Williams is archaic or like holds on to like an outdated style of basketball and coaching, but it's not true. It's not true. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, keep going. I'm just trying to understand, like. I don't know. Like, like I get it. Walker, like, w- do I wish that in retrospect that Walker Kessler got more minutes than Garrison Brooks? Kind of, honestly. But it, at, the- at least by the time the middle of January, February hit, because he did have to get in shape because he did not have the time that everyone else did due to his um, COVID isolation. Right. 
Um, and there is something to be said about having a five-star, really talented player collecting dust on the bench, like Duke does with its five stars. <laughs> like, you know, that's why they have so many transfers out of their program. Um, and I feel like Walker Kessler just kind of got caught on the end of that, where it's like he was very clearly one of the most talented guys on the team. But he also knew that coming in, though. Dayron was committed. And also, he knew full well that there was Armando Garrison Sterling as well, or two. Well, that, that's the kind of my point is that like you can't just like not. And I get, I get that Walker's better. He would have been the ultimate, like he would have been the ultimate best choice. But like, would you have wanted to sit Garrison and I don't know, like preseason ACC? He did not live up to preseason ACC Player of the Year, but. There's something we said about Roy and his seniors, you know, like, you know, some see that as a blessing. Some see it as a curse because again, he's going to show loyalty to his seniors that have stick with the program and whatnot and give them minutes, even if they're not necessarily earning minutes. They they've earned their minutes over the equity of their four years, not necessarily in the game to game play. They're playing in their senior year um, rather than truly going with the hot hand. Sorry. This Creighton Gonzaga game is fantastic. Oh, I haven't turned it on yet. It is. It has been phenomenal. And I get that because those the people that are the underclassmen would want the same to happen to them when they're a senior. So I, I, I and I get how that becomes the cycle of it. Yeah. So I hate I hate that Walker Kessler got you know that he got a you know felt like he had to go somewhere else to get what he wanted. But I do genuinely believe that if he had stayed, he probably would have gotten it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's now the four spots part. wide open for him. He would be the starting four next year. That's what without I that's without question. Part. Yeah, that's the hard part to reconcile with. Is like, well, is there something else? Because everything that we've talked about is like that fits Walker Kessler's description. So there has to be something else that's wrong, or I whether it's like. I don't know, Coach Williams pissed off his parents or they're just really spiteful about him not getting playing time over a senior. I don't. Because it's not an NBA thing because he's both him and his family admitted that he doesn't necessarily believe in going to the NBA this year because he's not testing the waters at all. So his, his plan wasn't even to go to the NBA. He just wants to be able to be marketable for the NBA when it's time. Um, I mean, perhaps if he got that chance to play and actually showcase it and did really well, maybe we'd be having a different conversation. Maybe it'd just be testing the waters rather than transferring. But now, now the spot's right there for him, and now he's not going to be able to take it. Yeah, it's a little bit frustrating as a fan, for sure. So, but I think we're all in agreement. If he somehow, some way chooses Duke, he will surpass Christian Leitner, in my opinion. Oh, oh, man, it will be vitriol (laughs) if he chooses Duke. There is no, no coming back ever, ever. Because that's worse than anything Christian Leitner could ever do. I don't care about punching Eric Montross in the face and making him bleed or anything he did in Chapel Hill. There's one thing for that. There's another thing to playing for Carolina, transferring, especially under the circumstances and with all the background information and then going to a school like Duke, um, but you can't recover from that. Like he That's would jump, Babe Ruth stuff. He would jump <laughs> Grayson. He would jump Christian Leitner instantly. And that's where he was going before he had his visit with us. Every single thing had him going to Duke. And then miraculously he had that visit with us and just 
absolutely on a whim and all, it seemed like almost impulsively like selected us. So I don't think it's out of the realm. I think Gonzaga and Kentucky have been the two names. I would still feel a little sore going to see even somewhere like Kentucky, but as long as he doesn't go eight miles down the road, I can probably live with any other decision he makes. Yeah, that would be that would be something. The 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 level of salt that would be in this fan base would be unimaginable. I mean, I think there's a reason why they had a ban on interconference transfers because of something like this. I well, mean, like that, but the like, college yeah. basketball, I think the – I don't want to speak from, like, a Carolina bias perspective, but, like, I feel like the Carolina – or, like, the college basketball world would implode if he went, if he went to Duke. That is – anyway, I don't want to think about that. Can we move on to something else, please? <laughs> yeah, that would be Yeah, terrible. I think we finally got all of our stuff out, so I think we feel a little bit better now. We're We just have to hurry up and wait, see what happens with the portal – who all goes in, who we have a legitimate shot at, and who ultimately is in Chapel Hill come summertime. Right. So if I ask you how old is Andre Drummond, what would you say? I know how old he is. I know how old he is, and it still gets me every single time. Because, like, when I look at him, I'm like, he's got to be, like, 32 or something. He's got to be, like, 32, 33. I when I, I just looked him up on basketball reference, I could not believe that he was 27 years old. 27. 27. This dude's like hitting his prime now. <laughs> like also, like I've watched one Cavs game, like one and like two overtimes of Cavs games this year. He's putting up like 18 and 14. Like yeah. he, he is producing. he's one of the best rebounders in the in the NBA. And it's particularly because He's like also number one in the NBA in getting to the basket. And also he has one of the lowest percentages of like <laughs> baskets, like within two feet. And so he gets those rebounds and just keeps missing them and keeps getting the rebounds. So he's basically just stat, uh, patting he's his the Kennedy Meeks. Yikes. Yeah. His two point percentage is under 50%. Yeah. Yikes. So he misses them and gets the rebound and then keeps missing. But I mean, to the Lakers, I mean, you know, and we'll talk about this more about like front running and, and improved play. And, but, you know, you're sitting there and, you know, when they're all healthy, you got a point guard in Schroeder who is or Schroeder, who is a pretty solid point guard, capable, capable. Um, you've got Braun, you've got AD, you've got Drummond at the five. Who's at the two for them? Is that Alex Caruso or is it KCP? Probably, probably KCP. Probably KCP, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and you've got Kuzma off the bench. Like, that's – I mean, it is a really solid squad, and they address a need that they had. They have Montrez Harrell off the bench, too. They were missing that, like – I hate to say it – Dwight Howard-style player, rim protector, because Marcus Gasol is washed, and I hated the signing when it happened. <laughs> I was like, Marcus All is not the answer to your problems, my friends. And uh, lo and behold. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the the NBA landscape right now is, is something to behold. Uh, because you've got, you know, the Lakers were already, like, they're the reigning champs. You know, you've got Braun, you've got AD. You've got now 
the Brooklyn Nets who are forming the Warriors East over there where you've got Harden uh, and, 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 and this might be really hot takey, but my whole thought process behind like Katie leaving Golden State was to like prove that he could win a championship without the, you know, without the, the, the whole multiple all-stars, you know, you walked in somewhere that already knows how to win and they've already had their championship and yada, yada, yada. Um, but now you have a team that is like, well, how are we supposed to compete with this now in the East? <laughs> so it's like, I don't know how that changes the narrative at all uh, about Katie. Um, but that's probably just me being salty. Um, you know, I think the Nuggets are a really good team that people are forgetting about. And they had just added Aaron Gordon. The Utah Jazz are a great team. The 76ers are a pretty solid team. The Bucks, I don't believe in the Bucks, but I know that they have Giannis. So I'm going to, you know, you know, they always have a shot at something. But, you know, the, the land. Giannis is quietly having a very, very good season, but he's not going to win MVP because no one wins MVP three years in a row. Um, so, you know, looking across the NBA, like there's a lot of talent to be spread around. Like there's a lot of talent spread around and there's a lot of solid teams right now. Um, you know what I'm concerned about though? What? LeBron's hurt. LaMelo's hurt. Or let's take LaMelo out of it. Cause he's a, he's a rookie. Uh, Anthony Davis is hurt. Uh, we've had some injuries on the net. So we just had, I feel like a lot of big players have gotten hurt this year. Yeah. I feel like that's because of the two month um, off season. So, we had a season end in October where all the only the good players and the good teams were there. And then season new season starts in December. That's going to go till June. Where all the best players are playing in June and May. You're going to have two months off and you have the Olympics where all the best players are going to be playing in the Olympics. Two months after your Olympics, you get to October and then you have another 82 game season. That's a lot of basketball to be played in like a two-year span. Too much basketball to be played in a two-year span. I feel like we might get some catastrophic injuries coming up within the next year because bodies aren't meant to be put under the stress that they're getting put under right now. Yeah, no, it's definitely a valid point. I mean, Dallas is sitting our top players on back-to-backs and we have like eight back-to-backs coming up so because also, for whatever reason the nba loaded up the back half of the schedule with back-to-backs yeah and we're sitting on the eight seat so we really don't can't afford to sit play, our star players on back-to-backs to have a chance just to make the playoffs but you almost can't afford to play him because then you're just going to end up hurt like everyone else is yeah it's a really sucky situation and it is I, for one, think that a 72-game season was too much. It, it, just, it feels like too many games. All righty. Well, we were probably going to talk NFL stuff next week. We'll give some update, updates from spring practice next week. And, yeah, that'll, that'll be it. And now the podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs>